Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Verse 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we're thankful for the privilege that it is uh, to be gathered around your word. Uh, Lord, as we uh, look at the scriptures, uh, help us to be uh, tentative to uh, hear and see what you have for us, Lord, today. Help uh, me with my speech, my mind, as I proclaim your word in, in truth, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, uh, we have Jesus preaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount it's because uh, that's where the place where Jesus taught these sayings uh, to multitudes of people. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, uh, we read Matthew documenting uh, this. He says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain, that's Jesus, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and uh, the sermon ends uh, in chapter 7. And uh, we see that in verse 28 to 29 with Matthew documenting. He says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. But Jesus taught many things uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we have three chapters in Matthew, from chap chapter 5 uh, to the end of chapter 7, which tells us of these things that Jesus taught. Uh, many of the things that he taught in this sermon was not in depth on any one subject, uh, but short, sharp sayings uh, that have depth in meaning when compared and studied out with uh, other parts of Scripture and other things that Jesus said. And uh, Jesus spoke, spoke, or he speaks in these two verses, in chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, about a straight, narrow way. Uh, the world today, it makes a mockery of the straight and narrow way. Now these days, if you're one to take the straight and narrow way, you're called a straighty 180. And uh, who here has ever heard of that term? It's, a, it's a, probably a slang term that's been used in Australia, but they call people that want to walk uprightly a straighty 180. Straighty 180, according to Google, says it relates to a person, especially a young person, who, is, who abstains from drugs and alcohol and casual sex. The world has been very crafty at taking terms from the Bible or a word from the Bible and making a mockery out of it. You know, many people do it ignorantly, not even realising uh, what they're saying when they say those things, but you know, uh, especially uh, you know, you have these people that actually purposely at the beginning take a word like the straight gate and they know exactly what they're doing with it and they turn it into a derogatory word. The devil wants to make light of what God says all the time. He's in the business of doing that. That's what he's been doing from the very beginning. When you think of the word wicked, it once meant and still truly means departure from the from the rules of divine law, evil disposition or practices, immorality, crime, sin, sinfulness, corrupt manners, wickedness generally signifies evil practices. 
That's what wicked means, according to the Webster's 1828 dictionary. But today we have the term wicked, and it's used to describe something good. That's what the world has, has turned it on its head. You know, there are wicked, uh, you know, food. You know, you've got those wicked wings at Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, there's wicked ice cream. I think it's even an Australian brand that calls themselves wicked. All, the, all their food that they bring out is, is wicked. Uh, people say they had a, a wicked time, you know, meaning when, when they enjoyed themselves. Or something looks good, they say, oh, that looks good, that looks wicked. But wicked should be wicked. Good should never be wicked. Wicked should always be wicked. These days, if you're a, a straighty, then it's seen as a bad thing, and it's mocked. Well, I'd rather be called a straighty 180 by a mocker than be on the broad way to destruction. Because many go down that road. Many go down that road. The straight narrow way has been turned on its head and it's seen as a bad thing by the world. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The sad thing today is that even Christians don't want to be seen as a straighty 180. I, I, I even use that term myself as a professing Christian. I, seen, I used to look at uh, Christians that were living uprightly and I'd think they were a straighty 180 until the Lord got hold of my heart one day and showed me how holy he was and how wretched and wicked a sinner I was. I was glad to become a straighty 180. I used to think it was cool, a cool thing, you know, if the church uh, followed the world in things like music, entertainment, and fashions, and all these kinds of things. I used to think that people who objected to these, uh, to this, were just being a straighty 180. That's what I used to think. You know, I used to think that, uh, you know, you've got to be like the world to win the world or to win the lost. But now I know that's how the world wins the found. That's what happens. It doesn't work the other way around. And I wasn't even a found person. I wasn't even that. I was still lost. I used to justify wicked things. Proverbs 17, 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. And I was both. We live in a world that is calling good evil and evil good. The just are condemned and the wicked are justified. It's even happening within Christianity. This is what was happening in Isaiah's day. The people who were supposed to be the people of God, being Israel, were putting darkness for light and light for darkness. They were calling evil good and good evil. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There was once a time when Christians didn't drink strong drink. And it wasn't that long ago either. I can remember even growing up in a Christian home and uh, I knew that Christians didn't drink even when I was a kid. It was a no-brainer to the Christian 
that they didn't drink strong drink. It was one of the things that Christians were known for. Billy Sunday, he's an old-time preacher, he preached the message in 1916. He said, the saloon is the sum of all, all villainies. It is worse than war or pestilence. It is the crime of crimes. It is the parent of crimes and the mother of sins. It is the appalling source of misery and crime in the land and to license such an incarnate fiend of hell is the dirtiest, low-down, damnable business on top of this old earth. There is nothing to be compared to it. This is what Christians used to think of drinking strong drink. If Billy Sunday were alive today, he'd be absolutely shocked to see the acceptance of booze within Christianity. It's disgusting. Unfortunately now, it's hard to find Christians that stay away from strong drink and the local saloon. You know, they're not even called saloons these days. They're called pubs and clubs. That's what they're called. But the content of what they promote and sell is still the same. And maybe even worse. You now, the majority of now, like these days, the majority of Christians think it's strange if you say you don't drink alcohol. They think it's strange. And I'm not talking about a little drop in the cough syrup. I'm not talking about that little sprinkle that gets thrown in the trifle that feeds 20 people. I'm not talking about that. Drinking, you know, uh, drinking strong drink, you know, uh, these people that want to drink strong drink and justify it, they always justify it by that little bit that's thrown in the trifle to feed 15 people. You know, or that little drop in the medicine. Oh, well, see, you know, you can, you can, you can ingest it, see, so it's okay. They're just doing that to justify drinking their strong drink. They just want to put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They want to justify it in some way so they can turn the grace of God into the lasciviousness. That's why they do it. And that's what they were doing in Isaiah's day. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, we read this. It says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night to wine and flame them. And the harp and the vial and the tabret and the pipe and the wine are in their feasts but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. You see what was happening? You know, they're more about their social life and their parties than the work of the Lord. Verse 13 says, Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge, and their honourable men are famished, and, the, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth, rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. For the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment and, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Amen. Now that's just one of many of the uh, things that Israel of old had succumbed to in their tolerance of, uh, uh, you know, adopting the ways of the nations around them, inflaming themselves uh, with strong drink. 
Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 23, 29 to 33 says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without a cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look now thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its colour in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. <coughs> That's what strong drink does. That's what strong drink does. Many today are deceived by strong drink. But that ought never to be the Christian. It should never be the Christian. The Christian should be living a life of Christ-likeness, not a life of lust and worldly likeness. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, we read, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in, suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Look at this, verse 3 says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. And that's what's happening in our world today. They think it's strange that you run to the same excess of, that you do not run to the same excess of riot as them. They think that's strange. But what's even stranger, and this is really strange, and it should not be strange at all, is that professing Christians today are running that they think it's strange that you run not to the same excess of riot. But what's going on there? A, a Christian should not think it's strange that you're abstaining from these wicked things of the world, like drinking strong drink. There's not enough Christians today thinking it's strange that there's people that call themselves Christians that drink strong drink. That's how it used to be. We used to walk in lasciviousness and lust. What does that mean? It means looseness. Irregular indulgence of animal desires, just going whatever feels good. Like an animal, you know, that's what they do, just by instinct. It's lustfulness, a tendency to excite lust and lustful indulgences, going after those things which are especially forbidden. That's what that means. Now, unfortunately today, the work of the Lord and, and uh, separation from the world around us has gone by the wayside in Christendom even, as a, as, a, as a whole. Christians today are being sensitive to the things of the world instead of being sensitive to the things of God. 
For example, I was reading on the Salvation Army website, I don't mind saying this because they put it on their website, so it's public knowledge, so I don't mind publicly exposing what they're saying. But they say, quote, we seek to partner with LGBTIQA plus people and allies to work with us to build an inclusive, accessible and culturally safe environment in every aspect of Salvation Army organisation and services. Everyone has a right to feel safe and respected. Now, I don't care how they try to be politically correct and using words like inclusive and safe and culturally and environment, respected, accessible, all these words. They're just terms to try and cover up what, they're really, what they've really done. And that's roll over to the culture of the world, which is against God and against his ways. They say they want to partner, partner with them and, and, and their allies, partner with the allies, partner with them and their allies. That's the LGBTIQA+. When were Christians told to partner with lesbians and homosexuals? When were Christians told to partner with bisexuals, transsexuals, queers, asexuals, which just means anything goes, and the plus at the end, which means whatever else you just want to add to that. It doesn't matter. That's what the plus means. It's an abomination. It's an abomination. You know, someone might say, oh, but, you know, they do a lot of good work. You know, they feed a lot of homeless and so on. I'm not saying they're not good. But don't say you're a Christian. But what's with partnering with lasciviousness and lust? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 18 says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Look at this. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Look at this. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What part? Yet they're partnering, partnering with them. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, look at this, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and, and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So you can't claim to have Jesus Christ and yet partner with this ungodly world. But that's what we're seeing today. That's what we're seeing in, in Christendom today. You know, Christians today not even reading their Bible, not even knowing what it says about these things. They, they wouldn't even know what God says about these things. Either that, or they know exactly what the Bible says about these things, and they're just willingly going against it. And they just don't care anymore. Ephesians 4 17 to 24 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, 
Look at this, who, who being past feeling, past feeling, see people lose their, sensitive, their sensitiveness to, to sin. This is what happens. They have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But look at this, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard, heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which is after God, He's created in righteousness and true holiness. It's saying that if you are no different than the world, that you haven't even so learned Christ. You haven't learned the Jesus of the Bible. We're meant to put off the old man and put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. Positionally, we are in Christ. And God wants us to seek to live up to that position. What else do we see that should be used or should be a used-to-be thing? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, what else do we see that should be a used-to-be for the Christian? <coughs> excess of wine. Well, what is that? What's excess of wine? Well, drinking strong drink is excess of wine. That's what it is. Again, I'm not talking about that little drop in the cough medicine or that little sprinkle in the trifle that feeds about 15 people. You know what? You want to do that? Well, good. Go ahead and do that. I don't mind trifle without it. But don't ever use that to justify your drinking of strong drink. Don't ever justify drinking your strong drink, you know, getting that little bit of a tipsy feeling and all these kinds of things. Revelings, what is that? Feasting. Feasting with noisy merriment, carousing. Carousing means the activity of drinking alcohol and enjoying oneself with others in a noisy, lively way. How many times uh, do you see Christians even doing that? You know, having uh, even bucks nights and things like this where they get together and one of their uh, you know, fellow uh, is getting married and they sit around and they... You know, noisy and carrying on with their, with their drinking and oh, we, we don't get drunk like the world. You're drinking strong drink. Banquetings, similar to revelings, means a, a drinking bout or, or carousal and feasting and entertaining with rich fare. Luxury, luxurious living, rich entertainment. Last year, Hillsong founder Brian Houston and uh, this is when he was, I don't think he's even uh, in that church anymore. I think he got stood down, but this is while he was still in that church. Uh, he uh, was pulled over in America and charged for uh, drink driving. Anyway, he apologised for getting in the car and driving while drunk. He says, I made the foolish decision to drive just two or three hundred metres to park the car and I'm grateful to God that no damage or injury occurred. What about apologising for drinking strong drink? He apologised for getting in the car. You know, what he doesn't realise is that by him claiming to be a Christian while drinking strong drink is damaging and injurious to the cause of Christ. 
That's the type of Christianity we see today. That's what you see. You know, he was too drunk to drive, and that's what the ungodly, unjust judge charged him for. You know, the unjust judge, when I say that, that's the judge, just a worldly judge, doesn't really care so much about the things of God. They found him guilty. What would the godly judge of all heaven and earth, what would he say? Abominable idolatries, we see there, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. What are they? Well, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 5 to 7, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, <coughs> which is desiring lustful and forbidden things. You know, some people, uh, they think if they just don't carry out their ungodly thoughts and desires, well, then that must be okay. But you know, the Lord wants us to re renew our minds. Uh, as well, but it says there in covetousness, which is idolatry, covetousness, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh to the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked, see that, in the which ye also walked, sometime when ye lived in them. So covetousness is rampant in our world today. And sadly, as it, it's infiltrated Christianity, social media, for the most part, is uh, built around covetousness. You know, people portraying their lives as something that it's, it's, it's not even. You know, it might look like that, uh, but it's not, in reality, it's nothing like that they are portraying. You know, every, everybody's just kind of coveting after someone else's life. Uh, you know, that's not really uh, what it is. You know, I'm not saying that having a social media account or anything is, is wrong. You can, you can use those things wisely. But many Christians can get caught up in the, in the covetousness of it as well. I turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at 13 14 again. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So Jesus speaks about a straight gate and also a wide gate. A straight gate is a narrow passage. It's a narrow passageway. So there's a narrow passageway and there's a wide passageway. Jesus speaks about a broad way that leads to destruction and a narrow way that leads unto life. He says the wide gate is the broad way that many take. He says the straight gate, which is the narrow way, few be there that find it. There are many false prophets today that are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They've forsaken the narrow way and they've turned to the big, wide, broad way. They might look the part, they may even say some things that are right, may even do some right things. There's nothing wrong with feeding the poor. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Inwardly. Look at verse 15. Matthew 7, 15 to 23 says, Beware of false prophets 
which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil, evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Look at this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And, I will, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And there are 11 words there that you never ever want to hear. Depart from me. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Turn to Luke chapter 13. We'll see a bit more about the uh, straight and narrow way. So Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 22. See, so the Christian way, it's a straight, narrow way. It's a straight, narrow way. And few be there that find it. Verse 22, and he, that's Jesus, uh, he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Look at this, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut, the, shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. And he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and ye yourselves thrust out. That's sobering. This is our saviour this is this is his words this is him talking it doesn't matter what the majority are doing the majority of god's people being the israelites at this time thought that they were all okay they thought that they were all okay with god but they were in iniquity and it's never been the majority it's always been the few it's never been the wide broad way it's always been the straight and narrow way a true Christian is following. It's nothing like the big broad way that the world is following. Jude warned that there will be men that would creep into the church and turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And we read in Jude, verses 3 to 7, <coughs> he says, Beloved, 
when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, here's the condemnation here coming up that was ordained by God for anyone that creep in and turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Verse 6, And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And that's the angels. Well, the book of James, it tells us that the angels, uh, that, that, sorry, that devils uh, believe. The book of James tells us that the devils believe that there is one God. It also, it also tells us that they tremble because they know what's coming. They know what's coming. And it's possible for a Christian so-called Christian, to have a devil-like faith. A devil-like faith. Verse 7 says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, there must be some people that must not read their Bible, because if they did... They would see this example, the examples in the Bible. You wouldn't partner with Sodom and Gomorrah, would you? Especially after reading the example of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm never going to partner with anything like that, by the grace of God. You can call me a straighty 180, I don't care. I'll count it as a privilege. Apostle Paul warned that these times will come. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 7, we read, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned under fables. He says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. He says, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not unto me only but unto all, all them also that love his appearing. That was what Paul said to Timothy. He said, for the time will come. I reckon we're in that time. Now, Jesus is coming back just as he promised. And surely we're getting close to that. Surely we're getting close. Now one of the signs is apostasy from the truth. From sound doctrine. The other, uh, the other one is the Antichrist. Who will set himself up as God. And will enforce a currency system whereby no man 
may buy or sell except he that has the mark of the beast on his right hand or his, or his forehead. I can see that happening soon too. Now, troubling times are coming. In 2 Thessalonians, uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. He says in 2, Thess 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 to 10, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Look at this. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And then three verses later in chapter 2, we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as are from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The underlying Greek word there for a, uh, a falling away is apostasia. You know, that's where we also get uh, the English word apostasy from. Now, the closer we get uh, to the second coming of Christ, our Saviour, the more we're going to see apostasy from the truth. Now, I reckon William Booth, who started the Salvation Army back in 1878, he would be absolutely appalled to see his organisation unashamedly partnering and allied with homosexuals. The LGBT, whatever, 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 plus whatever you want to add to that. That's who they're partnering with. He'd, he'd, be, he'd be shocked. You're never going to be a, a popular preacher or a popular person calling these things out. You're never going to be popular being on the straight, narrow way. But that's another thing that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. That's another thing he said. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Paul told Timothy that these days would come. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own souls, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, 
lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He says, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. Here we have the creep again. And lead captivity, silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just five verses later, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 3 verses 12 to 13, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's just five verses later. He says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't know what uh, Bible some people must be reading these days, but my Bible says that the grace of God teaches us that we should be living godly in this present world. Not turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 15 the Bible says for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Not enough peculiar Christians these days. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. See, doing that, or standing up for uh, Christ, standing up for the Lord's ways, might be despicable to some people. But I'd rather be on that straight and narrow way any day, any day. People can despise you all they like. But it says, let no man despise thee. So I'm not going to let that happen. And call you whatever they like. I'd rather stand where God stands. It's never going to be easy being a straighty 180. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 15, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, <coughs> excuse me, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, unto you. He says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part he is evil spoken of you, of, of, but on your part he is glorified. Look at this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Don't be don't suffer for those things. He says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. 
Remember, this is just eight verses after it was said wherein they think it's strange that you not run with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. This is just eight verses later. There's not enough Christians today thinking it's strange that Christians are running to the same excess of riot to the world. It's been turned on its head. That's the days we live in. They've put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, darkness for light and light for darkness. I'm sure Billy Sunday would agree. Jude, who warns the church about these ones that creep in and turn the grace of God into seriousness, he finishes off with a beautiful uh, encouragement to those who uh, want to uh, hold fast to the things of God, the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He says in Jude 1, verse 17 to 23, he says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who are separate, uh, who separate themselves. Look at this, sensual, sensual. They love the things that feed the flesh, having not the spirit. He says, but ye, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And look what it says here to do. This is what you've got to do while you're doing that. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. That's all I'm trying to do. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Not, not, not a lot of Christians doing that these days. So we've all got a choice to make. Are you going to be a straighty 180? Or are you going to be on that wide, broad way that leads to destruction? I know where I'm going by the grace of God. I'm going to, I'm going to get on that. I'm, I'm on it. I'm on that straight, narrow way. I thank the Lord for it. Only by His grace. Only by His grace can it be on that road. I don't care what they call me. They can call me Australia 180. I don't care. They can call me whatever they want. May God help every single one of us stay on the straight, narrow way. Let's pray.